Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Canty and Carlin is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Jason Fitz. We are filling in for the guys today. You can tweet to us at Amber W Sports at Jason Fitz. You can also always join the conversation. Give us a call on the CC call in line. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Fitz, we are just about three hours away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Juan Soto, he's been dealt. He is now a Padre. Joey Gallo, he's headed to the Dodgers. We are expecting to have Eduardo Perez on with us later this hour to help us break it all down. So we will absolutely be bringing you our Major League Baseball trade deadline talk. Also, Deshaun Watson, the fallout from the ruling from the independent arbitrator, Sue L. Robinson. We will be getting into that as well. But first, we start with breaking news out of the NFL as it pertains to my Miami Dolphins, Jason Fitz, because the NFL has notified the Miami Dolphins that the team is going to be stripped of its 2023 first-round pick, among other disciplinary measures, for violations of league policies related to the integrity of the game. This follows a six-month investigation by... By the league, primarily into owner Stephen Ross. He has been suspended for a time period as well. In fact, I believe the next meeting of the league that he can actually attend then is going to be the 2023 owners meeting. So Stephen Ross will be away from the team for a period of time until October. Huge ramifications in terms of apparently the Dolphins trying to get Mr. Tom Brady And also Sean Payton and Fitz, we've never seen anything like it in the NFL where a team has allegedly tampered with, I guess I don't have to say allegedly allegedly anymore, right? A team has tampered with a coach and a quarterback at the same time. I guess the Miami Dolphins are just trailblazers in that regard. I I would cry if I wasn't laughing, honestly. I, I think, well, a couple of things here. If I'm the Saints, I'm angry. Right, like if uh, above me on everything else, there's supposed to be this brotherhood between owners of teams. Now I'm looking at it saying, okay, so you were going after my coach when I'm trying to figure out if we could keep him here. I'm trying to rebuild. I'm trying to make sure that I keep my franchise relevant. And you're coming up to him like side eyeing him, saying, "Hey, like Miami's nice. Like there's a level of trust between owners that's absolutely broken there." And then the other part of it is, if I'm obviously if I'm Tom Brady. It speaks to the fact that Tom Brady was looking around for whatever he thought was going to be the best opportunity. This was a very thought-out process for him. But all of that being said, Amber, like, I mean, I understand a first-round pick has value. It does. It has a lot of value. A first and a third and $1.5 million, if it had landed you, Tom Brady or Sean Payton, I'd pay that price all day. Uh, everybody would. Uh, that's the reality of what we're talking about, but it didn't fit. And so this is the problem for the Miami <laughs> Dolphins. You know, as a Dolphins fan, I do. I know I'm supposed to denounce Stephen Ross. We are talking about a desperate owner. We are talking about a team that hasn't had a playoff win since 2001. They are desperate to do something here. And you're also talking about an older owner. And so he wants to see some semblance of success with his team during his tenure as owner. 
owner of the Miami Dolphins. He is throwing anything he can at a wall and seeing if it sticks. And I should denounce it with the desperation that I got to a point where he was willing to violate these NFL policies and blatantly tamper with a future Hall of Fame coach and a future Hall of Fame quarterback. But I have to admit, the Dolphin fan is me keeps thinking, but man, if that had worked, (laughs) if that had worked, I mean, we would have had a Super Bowl. Let's be real. What a damn get out of Tom Brady, right? I mean, we would have had a Super Bowl if it had worked. The big problem here, Fitz, is that it didn't work. So now it costs you and it didn't even pan out. Well, I mean, you start talking about you would have had a Super Bowl. Think of the drama the entire NFL would have gotten from Sean Payton and Tom Brady together. Like, I appreciate the fact that if you're going to go big, like, if you're going to go, go big, right? And the $1.5 million, I did the math earlier. Uh, according to the Google machine, not always accurate, but according to the Google machine, Stephen Ross is worth about $8.2 billion. So I looked up $1.5 million, did the math. If you have $100,000 as your net worth, it's the equivalent of about $19. So for most people, you know, if you got $50,000 is what you make, it's the equivalent of about a, you know, a, a happy meal. So, you know, it's worth a happy meal and a few draft picks to try and get one of the greatest coaches and, and arguably the greatest quarterback of all time together in your city and make your team immediately relevant. It is, though, at least a statement now. Can you trust anything the Dolphins are doing moving forward? Because you do understand that it's an organization being run under the mindset of desperation. It is being run under the mindset of desperation. And I do think that it's also notable that Jeff Darlington had tweeted out how unlikely this would have been to actually work anyways in terms of the Tom Brady angle of things. Darlington had said that he tried to dig into it more at the time because I've been screaming about this on air for months out here, Fitz, because I never really understood why nationally, frankly, this wasn't a bigger story. There were all sorts of reports out of Miami that made it seem legitimate that the Dolphins had, in fact, tried to go after Tom Brady and Sean Payton. We now know from this NFL report that apparently Stephen Ross was going after Tom Brady for years so there's a lot of angles to this because if this comes back to 2019 with Tom Brady then you're talking about Tom Brady considering a a big uh how do I put this kindly on radio uh uh, bleep you right that's the only way to say it to Bill Belichick right because you're talking about going to another team within the division you're entertaining that idea possibly obviously it doesn't pan out but then we're talking about a scenario where maybe there's a fake retirement with Tom Brady maybe it's a fake retirement with Sean Payton maybe they were supposed to go to the Miami Dolphins and then Brian Flores files his lawsuit, lights the match, throws it behind him, blows the whole thing up on his way out of town. There are so many angles to this story. And it seems like, though, according to Jeff Darlington, that it wasn't close to ever really happening anyways because Tom Brady becoming part owner in the Dolphins, which is what this report is, that he would have been a player owner, would have been really unlikely because it would have taken, apparently, the approval of all of the other owners for him to be able to play simultaneously while having a stake in the team. And what were the chances that the other owners would have approved that? So did the Dolphins cost themselves a 2023 first rounder for something that, frankly, wasn't going to happen anyways? I do think that that is an interesting question. Well, and as much as I laugh about the first rounder, it has tremendous significance this year. Now, uh, two things here. Number one, if I'm if I'm the NFL, I want to look at Tom Brady's phone book right now because I have a hard time believing that you up was only sent between the Dolphins and Brady. Like, so no other team anywhere reached out to Brady. His whole camp talked to one organization and nobody else. I have a hard time believing that. But 
from the draft capital prospect of this, we have to understand what the Dolphins are up against this year. Like, there's an unbelievable amount of pressure this year on Tua Tungvaloa to go out and be great. This is a very good roster in an AFC that's stacked. So I could see a team winning 9 or 10 games and not making the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, if you're the Dolphins, you may make it through this year and realize that you have everything you need, but you don't have your quarterback. Next year's draft is a very good quarterback draft, but you're going to want to be picking in the top four or five to have a real shot at one of those franchise-type guys to know that you can get your guy. The Dolphins with Tua are not going to be bad enough to be picking top five. They needed those two draft picks that they have next year. Theirs and the 49ers also not expected to be a great pick, right? It's a good team. You need all of that leverage to try and move your way up. Losing that leverage has long-term consequence to the Dolphins at the quarterback position. So it's ironic that not landing Tom Brady could actually prevent them from landing a great quarterback in next year's draft. It, it may prevent them from being able to address that quarterback position because you're absolutely right. I've been saying all along the plan was they always retain the two first rounders, by the way. They still have a first round pick. Nobody seems to be talking about right, that. They still right. have a first round pick. I believe it's the 49ers pick. So they still have a first rounder in 2023, but they lose the Dolphins first rounder in 2023. And I had always said all along, they've done a lot of juggling back and forth in the last couple drafts. And obviously they've done the big trades and you saw the haul they gave away for Tyreek Hill. One thing that they were never willing to part with was those two first rounders in 23. And I think the reason for that was because they figured, hey, three years of Tua, we'll be able to fully evaluate him. We'll know what we have and we'll be able to address that quarterback position, whether it's us moving up in the draft to draft somebody or us flipping those two first first rounders for a vet. Now they're going to have a very difficult time doing that. And like you said, they're not necessarily going to be bad this year, uh, even if they don't make the playoffs this season because of how competitive that conference is. So it's anybody's guess where they're going to be drafting with the one remaining first rounder but potentially unlikely that they'll be able to now address that quarterback position in a way that you would feel confident about so we have a ton of angles to get to with this Miami Dolphins story there is so much to unpack in fact you mentioned the Brady angle as well apparently he won't suffer any punishment from this I do think that there's some stuff to get into from Tom Brady's perspective and maybe even Sean Payton's as well we will continue to talk about this story here throughout the show this is Canty and Carlin Jason Fitz and Amber Wilson filling in for the guys. But coming up in just moments, the NFL can only bury the Deshaun Watson news for so long with this Dolphin suspension. We will get back to Deshaun Watson after I have this word from Indeed. When you're running your own business, the last thing you need is running into problems hiring. So check out Indeed, the all-in-one hiring solution. It makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates. With tools like Instant Match, the moment you sponsor a post, you'll instantly receive a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. You can... Then invite them to apply, schedule and conduct interviews all from Indeed's website. Visit Indeed.com slash credit to get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions may apply. No one's happy with this right now, it seems like. I don't think anyone feels as though there's resolution. I find this incredibly difficult to square with her ultimate conclusion, which was based on Preston, but also her own interpretation that what took place was not violent. 98% of judges would have done the same thing because their job is to interpret this agreement. And the problem is this agreement does not respect women enough. So we got the huge breaking news just yesterday, right? And it feels like it was five days ago with (laughs) 
how much uh, we have talked about this thing already, but I mean, huge, huge breaking news in the world of the NFL that we finally found out what the Deshaun Watson suspension would be, at least in regard to Sue L. Robinson's ruling. She suspended Deshaun Watson for six games. And she issued, and they actually released, I was a bit surprised by that, frankly, her 16-page opinion as it pertains to why she decided to make that ruling where Deshaun Watson is suspended six games. And there's been a lot of talk, and Jason, obviously, you've been on air. I mean, you were just on Barton Hahn for hours. You were on air yesterday as well. So I know that you also have done your diving into this Deshaun Watson story. Have you, As you've digested it here over the last 24 hours, has anything changed to you or stu- it stood out to you? Everything's changed after we saw the actual opinion. I think for me, when I first got the news yesterday, we were on air at the time, it was easy to say, okay, we don't know what evidence she was presented. We don't know why she made this ruling. There's a lot of logic pieces you try and put together. And then after the show, by the time we finished the show that I was on yesterday, the ruling was out there and, you know, because I'm not as smart as you are, I had to read it like a dozen times, like over and over and over again, because I kept trying to make it make sense. I mean, when you read the actual ruling and I would implore anybody to do it, it's out there on Twitter. If you read all 16 pages, she made it abundantly clear that she believed the the victims, that she believed the case that was presented against Deshaun Watson, that she didn't feel that Deshaun Watson had shown any remorse, that she did feel that he had exposed himself, that he understood that that, that, contacts, that contact was unwanted. I mean, she said that the NFL went out and proved their case. And that is where it became really hard for me to understand how can you say on the one hand they proved their case, and on the other hand, it's only going to be six games. And that's, you know, I understand the, the reasoning as I read more and more on it. I tried to understand the reasoning of it. It just doesn't feel right. And I don't know what to do as a human being when it's like I have all the information, I have all the understanding, and it still makes me feel gross. Like, that's, well, it- that's where I am. Right. And a lot of people are there and understandably so because of what we're talking about in the subject matter. And it is heinous when you read the opinion and you realize that, like you said, she did believe what was being alleged against Deshaun Watson. She said the NFL at every turn in its three facets as it presented in front of her in three ways that he violated the league's conduct policy. She said at every turn they met their burden of proof. So what the NFL was alleging she believed to have occurred. And so a lot of people have a hard time emotionally recognizing reckoning that with the fact that it's only six games. Well, if he did this thing, then shouldn't the NFL have gotten what it was asking for? But I I guess the lawyer in me recognizes that she's not working off of those same reasonable emotions that everybody else is having from the outside looking in, right? She has to come up with an opinion that is founded in precedent and founded in fact, but also founded on the wording of the CBA. And what she is being tasked with is interpreting the CBA from both the NFL and NFLPA's perspective because they collectively bargained this thing and then applying it in ways that it has been applied in the past. And that's where we ran into what became a problem for a lot of people when we were talking about just a six-game suspension, so to speak. She even alluded to the fact that six games was actually hefty considering what the NFL had did in the past with allegations such as these. It absolutely harms the NFL that they don't punish their owners for allegations of sexual misconduct. She noted that in one of her footnotes. Believe, I believe 
believe you me, that was an issue for her, and it will be an issue for them moving forward if they continue to challenge this thing. That was never going to be a good look, and, and obviously the NFLPA made that a cornerstone of its case because the CBA doesn't just apply to players. But then also, there seems to have been a shift, and this is sort of what she was recognizing in her opinion. There has been this shift in public perception and public backlash when it comes to these cases of uh, you know sexual misconduct, allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual assault. And I think that we would all applaud that shift, right? From the outside, where you take course. women more seriously, uh, you know, obviously uh, denounce these sorts of things. These things are big deals and we should believe women and they should be big deals. And she recognizes that her problem was that you can't just suddenly because of public pressure, start punishing things in a different way than you have previously without notification to the players. And the notification to the players would need to be in some sort of policy where there's a change. And she even noted after Ray Rice's incident, they did that when it came to violent offenses of sexual assault and misconduct. And a lot of people, and I heard you and Chris Button also on air, you were having a hard time with that distinction. I know a lot of people have had a hard time, reasonably so, with the distinction between violent and nonviolent offenses. That's literally the language, though, that the NFL came up with in the CBA. So she's applying the NFL's definition of violent and nonviolent offenses. She's not implying Sue Robinson's definition of any of this stuff. And she's saying under your own guidelines and how you've handled these things in the past, there's a baseline for you when you deem it violent under your parameters in the CBA of six games is the minimum and then you go from there. Well, there's nothing if it's one of these non-violent offenses. And so this is where you run into the problem. She's basically putting the onus on the NFL. She even notes in a footnote, maybe the punishment should be higher, but it hasn't been. And you can't just punish people after the fact without notifying them. It would be like you're charged with a crime and the punishment after you actually did it and the the ship has sailed, right? Like where, you know, we're going back and retroactively charging people with crimes when it wasn't illegal at the time that they committed the act. That would be problematic. You know, said drug wasn't illegal back in 1970. You did it back in 1970. In 2022, we find out you did it. We're going to go back and charge you with a crime, even though it wasn't a crime at the time. Obviously, that would be ridiculous. And that is basically essentially the principle that she's applying here. Like one of the things is you have to let people know what the punishments are going to be and what the violations are, and then you can apply them moving forward. I thought it was interesting in reading her uh, decision, how often she said essentially, hey, it's defined this way in the collective bargaining agreement, so I have to follow that. Like it was very clear that there were terms that she was using throughout the process of it that she was saying, look, Uh, You've defined it as this, so I will have to define it as that, which made some sense. To your point, uh, I I found myself almost thinking about, like, for most people that work day jobs, uh, if you get written up, for example, like if you get in trouble, you rarely just get in trouble and get fired. Usually where you work, like, there's a process. Like, you get written up, and then you get, like, a, a verbal warning, a written warning, and then you're fired, right? Like, I felt like that's almost what we were seeing in punishment Uh, the way she termed it, because to your point, it did stand out to me that she made it very clear that you can't just come in and change the punishment. And, you know, we've seen this in our own judicial system, to your point of the way things are prosecuted. Like my brother did uh, years for possession with the intent to distribute uh, on something that now wouldn't be illegal. Like you have to understand that the judicial system changes and the way all of this is viewed changes through that process, too. So you have to look at, at what's happening. It just what do you do when it just feels like we went from save me from Roger to save us, Roger, right? Like now we want Roger to step in. I don't know how the NFL fixes the fact that they're part of the reason we got here 
And now, short of going back and recollective bargaining a portion of that agreement, which sounds wildly difficult, now all of a sudden all the NFL can do is stand up and say, well, uh, we thought that she might save. Uh, to your point, I don't know what makes this right if the collective bargaining agreement in and of itself was so flawed that it was never going to be able to have the right, per, the, the right uh, punishment for something this severe. People seem to have wanted this independent arbitrator to be a trailblazer. Judges, judges aren't trailblazers. They're making decisions based on controlling precedent, which is essentially what she was doing here and how she treated this process. She was looking at the language that was in front of her that was collectively bargained and looking at how it had been applied in the past and making her decision based on their own application, not on her own feelings. So there's a lot of angles to get to still with the Watson story. You know I love all this nerdy law stuff. That's the lawyer in me. But I did mention that it's not just the NFL as the only dominating sport today. Okay, move over NFL. We've got some baseball news. It is the MLB trade deadline day. And wait until you hear how Tim Kirchin described the Juan Soto trade. That's next. This is Canty and Carlin with Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So you heard it there. We are about two and a half hours from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz filling in for the guys. Let's bring in some help with the Major League Baseball trade deadline discussion. Eduardo Perez, ESPN Baseball Analyst, joins us. And Eduardo, thanks for joining us. You heard it there on the rejoin, the voice of Tim Kirchin. He calls the Juan Soto trade. He traded, of course, to the Padres the biggest in Major League Baseball history. What do you make of that? It's big. It's big. And, uh, you know, Amber, it's uh, to be able to trade Juan Soto and get him for not one, not two, but three postseason runs, potential postseason runs, is huge. I think that's the big impact. Uh, we've seen major trades happen in the past with uh, Miguel Cabrera going from the Marlins to the Tigers. It's still at a young age. But Juan Soto right now, definitely the biggest trade that I know of in a long time. And the impact in West Coast baseball is going to be hit in a major way because of the length and the depth of that lineup. I mean, you mentioned a playoff run for the next several years. I I think it's easy to see down the road how it helps. This year, what does it do for the Padres in this year's season and this year's playoffs? Well, just think about it. You end up getting an elite player, right? At that age, you put him right there in the two-hole, most likely. And most likely in, in a week, you're getting Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's another add-on, another dynamic high-end player to that lineup. You add uh, to complement Manny Machado as well, and you get Josh Bell. This lineup is going to be a headache for a lot of teams that have to face them. 
it's going to put a, it's going to take the pressure off the other secondary parts of the lineup and those guys can go out and play but the dynamic part is going to be hit right there in the first inning with uh Tatis and Soto once those guys are are healthy and ready to go Eduardo Perez, ESPN baseball analyst, joining us here on Canteen. Carlin, Amber Wilson, and Jason Fitz filling in for the guys. So the Dodgers react by trading for Joey Gallo. Now, Gallo not having the same season that Soto's having, but how much of a fresh start did he need? Can you get that in the middle of the season? Yeah, some guys just cannot uh, just cannot play at Yankee Stadium. They can't play with the pinstripes. And Joey Gallo was one of those guys. They knew what they were getting, and they were hoping that it was going to be better than what the swing and miss rate was in Texas. Uh, he got exposed in the American League East. Now he goes to the National League West. One thing you're going to get out of Joey Gallo is you're going to get great defense. He can separate what he does at the plate with the defense. They're hoping they can tweak a couple things. They have a really good hitting crew. They have three coaches, hitting coaches there, that are elite. And they're hoping that if they can get those, uh, those guys on board, to be able to fix Joey Gallo, the power is there. It's always been there. And and most likely we end up platooning in left field. And then the defense actually gets better for the Dodgers. So as good as their offense is, their defense just got better with Gallo. That all makes a ton of sense to me, Eduardo. I, I keep thinking about the mental aspect, though, because like, I get how you can help somebody with the technique that they need right now. But just right. the mental aspect, do the Dodgers need to do anything special to help him get out of his own head in this restart? I think they did. I think just the California weather helps. I think getting out of the Bronx helps. I think getting out of the American League East helps. And even though it is a big media market in L.A., it's a different media market in L.A. than it is in New York. And because of that, I think he will be able to just let those shoulders relax. And once that happens, he can now focus on baseball. But the Dodgers have done this with a lot of hitters. Uh, that struggled somewhere else, and they've come into and put that Dodger blue on, and they've succeeded. And they're hoping and they're and they're hedging on this one to have success down the stretch. Eduardo Perez, ESPN baseball analyst, joining us. So Soto was the biggest name to get dealt. Shohei Otani, there was also rumors here over the last couple of weeks that maybe he would be available for the dealing. It appears though that the Angels are going to hang on to him instead. Are the Angels making the right move here? How frustrating is it if you're the Angels? I mean, you have the probably the two best players in baseball. One hasn't been able to stay healthy last year or this year. Shohei Otani was not healthy a couple years ago. Last year, MVP did everything. He has turned it up a notch or two in this second half of the season, pitching and hitting. He is as elite as they come, but they just can't win. And you wonder what the value would be and what teams would be willing to give up for a Shohei Otani, just on the offensive side, on the pitching side, the guy, the guy can mow him down. But the major concern that I have if you acquire Shohei Otani is you can't go to a five-man rotation on your pitching. They have a six-man rotation in Anna, and, uh, as the Angels are concerned. And I wonder if he could react to a five-man rotation one less day of rest to try to be to try to have them effective because I just don't see other staffs making that adjustment late in the season for Shohei. It's got to be maddening for the Angels. Also, we got to be maddening for Angels fans. Like you want to latch on to your superstar, which brings me all the way back to where we started this thing with Soto. To if you're a Washington fan, 
So where are you getting your hope right now? Like you did everything and you tried to give the money that, that would make him stay. How are you feeling right now? Okay, so this is this is the way I would see it. If you look at when Alex Rodriguez left Texas Rangers, right, they actually went to the World Series the next year. You ended up getting pieces. Alfonso Soriano was part of that deal. You ended up getting uh, parts that really helped that team win. Uh, you opened up a little bit of the budget as well. Now, you look at the same thing you could say uh, a, couple, a couple years ago with Bryce Harper. He left the Nationals to the Phillies. The Nationals go on and win the World Series. I'm not saying that the Nationals are going to win the World Series next year because Soto's not there, but the pieces that they did get in return are elite prospects. They're not just fringe prospects. These guys are elite. They're, they're, they're categorized as elite major league prospects, middle-of-the-order guys, uh, heavy on defense, heavy on offense, and heavy with the arms with Mackenzie Gore. So if I'm the Nats, you came out smelling like a rose in this one. Eduardo Perez, ESPN baseball analyst. Eduardo, uh, last one here, not a trade deadline question, but Aaron Judge, he's chasing Babe Ruth, Roger Maris. He's also chasing Barry Bonds right now. He's on pace for 66 homers, 43 through 104 games. Mm. If he gets to 62, does Eduardo Perez consider it the home run record? <laughs> That's funny. You know, I'm, uh, I get along with Barry, and, and, and when I played against Barry, I thought it was the most impressive thing I ever saw. And I know that it's, it's, it's tarnished. I understand. Um, I think I think every era is different. And it's unfair to try to say, well, this era is better or that era was better. It was tarnished definitely because of performance-enhancing uh, drugs. And that is what it was. And I unfortunately had to play in that era. And I got beat out in many positions during that era. All I can say is I've learned to separate both and not try to judge it one way or the other. What I can say is that Aaron Judge is definitely going to get over 60. He'll definitely get over 61, and he will be the best Yankee slugger, at least if he does 62. You played that one really now, safe, Eduardo. Like politics are in their future, my friend. That is right. my, that's my salsa pro. dancing. That's that my was, salsa dancing. <laughs> that, that, was, that was great. Uh, you definitely tiptoed around that one. I, I love it. Eduardo yeah. Perez, ESPN Evan, baseball yep. analyst. Thanks for joining us, Eduardo. Right. Thanks, Eduardo. Thank you. I'm no taking problem. dance lessons from him from no, now on. Seriously. That was well done. That was well, well done. done. That is how you do it. Canty and Carlin is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Coming up next, how different the NFL would look if Brian Flores didn't file his lawsuit. That is next here on ESPN Radio. <laughs> this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Eduardo Perez just perfectly tap danced around the question I asked him about Aaron Judge chasing the home run record. And it all comes down to what's the home run record, Jason Fitz, right? And he gave a pros pro answer on how to handle it. But I want to ask Jason Fitz, is Jason Fitz 
as much of a politician in this regard? Are you going to give me the PC answer? Or do you have a real opinion here? Uh, Aaron Judge right yeah. now, he is uh, just the second Yankee and fourth Major League Baseball player in history to hit at least 43 homers through his club's first 104 games of a season. So that's joining Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Babe Ruth. A couple names on that list that end up being problematic for some people. We know Barry Bonds hit 73. Some people won't recognize that as the home run record. What say you, Jason? Yeah, the number's the number. Look, Eduardo can be a professional. I'm not going to be a professional. (laughs) At some point, we could sit here. Like, it's not my job to parse this all out. Like, Major League Baseball has a home run record. And as we all try and figure out what that entire era means, the one thing I know is that the number's the number. Like, the nice thing to do here, like, the the pleasant fan in me would love for Aaron Judge to set the record simply so that we never have to have this debate again. However, the troll in me wants him to come one short. Just, Just one shy of uh, of the record, so that then we can have the great argument constantly. But the fact and is... And by setting the record, you mean you want him to get 74, yeah, right? 74. Not 62. No, okay. no, 74. But, I, but since that's probably, you know, that 74 would make everything nice and easy for the next generation. So I'm really rooting for 72 just to piss everybody off or, uh, along the way. Like, that's Here's the, way the problem do. if he hits 74. Does it raise an eyebrow? Because I feel like we're not even... It, this whole conversation about Aaron Judge has always been, is he going to break 61, right? Is he going to be able to do it? And it, I haven't heard much at all about, is he going to break 73? Now, I know part of that is that a lot of people don't recognize the Barry Bond record, but I also think part of that fits is that nobody expects that record to ever be touched without a little extra help, right? Which is how most people assume that record was got to begin with. And so I just wonder, are people going to believe in it if Aaron Ru- and if Aaron Judge does it? Yeah, because he's going to have to take a pee test like right after. Like, every immediately, day leading up to like it. before he walks uh, off the field. He should just start peeing in the dugout after every home run for the rest. This is professional <laughs> analysis. Hit, hit, the, hit the digger, walk into the, the dugout, wham, just pee right there. Like, let's just, just make it go. I don't even know the pee is going to be good. Enough. It's like we're immediately taking your blood you know just tap me <laughs> just right away right when i walk back into the dugout Got a nurse with the gloves on and the needle yes. right there the minute he comes just off right that, there, that. i'm all in for this like that would end all speculation there but this is great we're fixing baseball right that now. It, we're fixing baseball i don't know if aaron judge is going to agree with what we just suggested but that's the way to fix it Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Rolling along here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Canty and Carlin's presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz, we're hanging out, filling in for the guys. You can follow us both on Twitter at Jason Fitz, at Amber W Sports. You can also give us a call. 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. We talked a little bit earlier about the fallout here of the Miami Dolphins tampering where the NFL has brought down the hammer, frankly, on the Miami Dolphins. 
stripping them of a 2023 first rounder amongst other disciplinary measures. But there's an interesting component to this story, Jason Fitz, where the tampering apparently was with Tom Brady, stemming all the way back to 2019, also with Sean Payton. But let's talk about the Tom Brady angle of this, because an NFL League spokesperson, Brian McCarthy, he told Jenna Lang, who covers the Bucks for ESPN, that Tom Brady will not incur any sort of punishment for the tol- for the Dolphins tampering. I think that that is a little interesting because we're talking about a Tom Brady who, of course, the Michigan ties, Stephen Ross, the Michigan ties, their relationship goes back many years, which is where this stems from and why this tampering probably exists. But I would imagine those conversations weren't just one-sided. And if they go all the way back to 2019, then Brady would have been flirting with another team within Belichick's own division while he was still a New England Patriot. Yeah, I mean, that part of it is a little shocking to me, right? Like, they were both in a relationship, and they got caught in each other's DMs. Like, <laughs> at some point, like, I'm not going to fault the, the Dolphins for sliding into Brady's DMs. Like, if you're gonna, if you're, you're in a relationship and you're going to slide into DMs, it better be a supermodel. And Brady is the supermodel of this whole thing, right? So I don't fault the DM slide. But at some point, the minute he was like, yeah, I'm up. What are you wearing? Like, the, the minute that happened, he's got some blame. There's got to be some fault in this to Brady as well. I don't know how you efficiently punish a player because I'm sure the rules, uh, uh, there's something in the collective bargaining agreement for that. But you can't have this be totally one-sided in the punishment. Now I'm thinking if I caught a woman in my husband's DMs, whether I would feel comforted by the fact that she's a supermodel or not. I don't know no. uh, how I would feel about that. But if she was Tom Brady, if she was the greatest to ever do it, then maybe I would sort of understand yeah, like a if, little bit more. Right? If you if you looked at your husband's DMs and you found that he got in Cindy Crawford's DMs and was like, what's up? <laughs> I mean, shoot your shot, buddy. Like, that's like, like that you never want to promote it. But come on. I mean, at least it, like, I can understand that side. And by the way, he's still going to get punished for it, just like the Dolphins are getting punished for it. Well, right? of course, naturally. That, uh, very like, much so. He will Cindy lose many, many draft picks if right. that ever happens. But. <laughs> Tom Brady, what's interesting here to your point is, so the Dolphins, they go after Tom Brady. You can kind of understand that. A desperate franchise, hasn't won a playoff game since 2001. Tom Brady probably does that for you. Or if you take his resume in Tampa, he automatically wins you a Super Bowl. So you understand their pursuit. Apparently, Brady's interest relies on the fact that Stephen Ross would have been willing to give him a stake in the team. So he would have been an owner player, which is something, obviously, that we haven't seen. But what's funny for me to think about with these rumors about what happened here with the Miami Dolphins, as it concerns both Brady and Sean Payton, frankly, is how different the NFL would look then if Brian Flores hadn't filed that lawsuit. Because it feels like Flores blew the whole thing up by filing his lawsuit. Tom Brady and, and Sean Payton probably in Miami if that lawsuit is not filed, right? Where's Tua Tungavaloa? Uh, backup, maybe he, he probably got traded away, right? Because somebody was probably willing to give up something for him. Bruce Arians then? Probably still the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who's his quarterback? I mean. I don't know who. Tua Tungavailoa. There you go, Tua. Is is Jameis in in New Orleans? I don't know what's happening Did they keep Jameis? Yeah, did they run it back with Jameis? Because they they figure, (laughs) I mean, my God. Mike McDaniel is still alongside Kyle Shanahan as the OC of the 49ers. Maybe that works out better for Trey Lance moving forward. I don't know. Mike McCarthy, maybe his seat. And Dallas is a little less hot because right now Sean Payton's hanging out there in a way he otherwise wouldn't be. I mean, the entire NFL would look so different if Brian Flores hadn't filed the lawsuit because he files a lawsuit. The NFL then investigates this thing because of the Flores lawsuit. I mean, all all of this is, is almost as wild as when you think about what would have happened if there was a way for Brady to have gone to Miami. I mean... 
Like the the trickle down effect of all of this is so. It, it reminds me a little of the conversation that happened sometimes around Nick Saban, who said that if Drew Brees had come to the Dolphins as his quarterback at the time, he thinks he would still be the coach there to this day. Never would have left, right? Imagine what that would have done to Alabama football, to the entire college football world, to the college football playoff. Like the thirty for thirty we need on that one thing. Oh. It's epic. That makes me feel nauseous. It makes me feel nauseous as both a Dolphins fan because oh, you were bringing up stuff that nobody needs brought up, but also as a Gators fan because then Alabama wouldn't Look have been Alabama. That. All these so many repercussions to these almost done things that don't actually get done in the world of sports. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.